Good morning, church. Good to see you. Man, I was singing backstage. I could hear your voices singing through. You sounded great this morning. If you are new with us, my name is Mark. I'm the director of Next Steps here. And so my role is just to help you get connected into the life of the church, to begin serving, to begin grouping, doing those things that we value. And so reach out to me if you need assistance with that. You can simply go to our website and find my email and, and let me know. If you're new with us this morning or newer and you haven't texted in yet, I'd encourage you to take out your phone at some point while I'm preaching and just text the word new and interact with us a little bit there. We'd love to know you were here. That works for you online as well. If you are on holiday or vacationing and you're watching us elsewhere this morning, uh, whatever platform you're on, I'd encourage you to go to live.oklahonacc.org. There you can interact with the host. You can have sermon notes for the day and have a more engaging experience with us this morning. Hey, question for you. Since it's officially the end of summer in most people's minds, how many of you went to the beach this summer? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you wish you had gone to the beach this summer. Yeah, that's a, that's a bigger group there, right? We all enjoy the beach. Maybe you'll get a chance on fall break. I'm not sure what your vacation plans are. You know, I love going to the beach. I've always enjoyed that. When I was a kid, we went a few times and I remember the boogie boarding and the sand castles and the sunburn so bad on my back that I couldn't sit against the car seat, the 10 hour ride home. I don't know if kids do that these days or not, but um, you know, I loved going to the beach and, and you probably do as well. But have you ever heard anyone say, I love the ocean? Have you ever heard anyone say, Hey, I'm going to the ocean this summer. We don't say that, do we? We say, I love the beach. I'm going to the beach. And why is that? Why do we like the beach, but so many of us not necessarily like the water? And you're starting probably to formulate some ideas, right? Many of us find the sand to be safe, but the water, not so much. There might be a few crazy ones out here that swim out there all by themselves. And if that's you, great. But for everyone else that's rational, uh, when they're on the shore and they're looking out at the water, there's a fear that if they go out there, there is something just beneath the surface that you cannot see that is waiting to destroy you, right? And maybe it's a paranoia. I don't know. Maybe it's wisdom. But some of you, it's like ankle deep, knee deep. I'm not going to go out too far because I have this genuine fear that there is something out there that could end my life in an instant, Right? Some of this we've seen on movies, some we've read news stories about this. And, and of course, what I'm talking about is jellyfish. Everyone's terrified of the jellyfish. That's why you jump when the seaweed hits your ankle because you're terrified, right? We like the sand, not the water, and it's not the jellyfish. It's because of this guy, right? We're all terrified that just beneath the surface that we cannot see, this thing is waiting to destroy our lives. And there's no way I'm going to win a fight with that, right? We have this fear when we're in the water that just beneath the surface, there is this thing waiting. And some of you have a soundtrack going through your mind right now, all right? So I want to help you prepare for your next beach vacation. If you're taking notes, jot this down. You're going to thank me when your life is saved in the future. Okay, I did some research. Best ways to avoid a shark attack. And some of you are thinking, well, I know the best one. Don't swim. And that is, that is rational. It's just a little weird because that meant you traveled hours to stare at water. Right, you can do that at home. So let's assume you're going to get into the water. Right, best way to avoid a shark attack, and I'm not making this up. This is research-based, and it is don't swim alone. The best way to avoid a shark attack is actually not to swim alone. And you can fact check it if you think I'm just making this up. Don't swim alone. Swim with a group. And here's why. Because sharks 
are predators. Sharks are predators. And if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, if you know much about the animal kingdom, a predator hunts by isolating. So a predator watches and waits until one part is separated from the group, and then it chooses to attack when that thing is vulnerable. Right? A predator separates its prey from the larger group and then chooses to attack. So the next time that you're, you're at the beach, make sure you're swimming with someone. And if you don't have someone, just swim up next to the person next to you. And just smile and say, I'm keeping you safe. And you've made an instant friend. And then you can tell them about Jesus. So there you go. Now, some of you are like, I love the lesson on sharks and predatorial behaviors. But how does that have anything to do with church? How does that have anything to do with where we're going this morning? Let me show you a verse. First Peter 5. Eight. Peter says this, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Sharks didn't make a lot of sense in that culture. Lions made sense, and we'll talk about that. We don't have a lot of experience with lions. But here's the connection. You see, the devil is a predator. The devil is a predator. Satan is a Predator. The verse says he prowls around like a roaring lion. And why would Peter describe Satan, which we a lot of times refer to as the enemy, as a lion? A couple of reasons. One, Jesus is referred to as the lion of Judah in scripture, as the mighty one, the heroic one. And so Satan's going to be an imposter. He's going to try to be something that he isn't. And so he's going to lie to us to make us think that he's something he's not. I think Peter is also giving us a little snapshot into the nature of Satan. Satan is not all powerful. He can't be everywhere at one time. He can't be all knowing and ever present. He's limited to time and space. And so Satan has to be opportunistic. He has to seize opportunities when people have isolated themselves from a group and are vulnerable to attack. He has to look for opportunities like a predator does. He watches, he isolates, and he attacks. And he's not alone. He has helpers, but they too are confined to time and space. You see, he watches, he isolates, and then he attacks. And you may say, well, I want proof that that is true. Let me ask you this question. Where was David when he decided to have sex with another man's wife? Alone on a rooftop. Where was Judas when he decided to betray Jesus for just a few coins? He wasn't with the group of disciples. Where was Peter when he denied Jesus three times? And where were you in your most sinful moments? Generally not with large groups of people, alone, isolated, and vulnerable to attack. See, the devil is a predator, and he even used this strategy on Jesus. Look at how Matthew records Jesus' temptation in the desert. It says, after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Matthew says, after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights. And we don't know the exact days that Satan showed up, but I bet it wasn't day one. Right? He watched. He waited. For Jesus to become isolated from his people and to become vulnerable in his state. And he chose to attack. Even Jesus, he even used this strategy 
on Jesus. And he obviously wasn't successful. If you want to know the rest of that story, if that's an unfamiliar story to you, go to Matthew chapter 4. and You can read the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert. It's an interesting read. But Satan even used this attack on Jesus. And so let me ask you, where are you today? Where are you today? Are you alone? You know, it's possible to be in a room full of people and be incredibly alone. Are you alone trying to bare knuckle this life yourself and and knock down the walls and, and just to do this thing? Or are you a part of a healthy community? Are you a part of a larger group that can provide some security and some safety? You see, because without community, we are vulnerable. Without community, we are vulnerable. Because our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for an opportunity to devour. And you know, I think we have learned a lot about this over the last couple of years. Take the last two or three years, this this COVID era that we call it, right? Pandemic era. As society shut down, as we began to isolate ourselves from one another, as we quarantined from one another, did our qualities of life, our quality of life really improve on the whole? Probably not. As we became isolated from one another, from families, from communities, from groups that we were a part of, we became very vulnerable to attack. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the people who wrote guidelines and policies were working for the enemy. I'm saying Satan used those things to attack us, to find opportunities when we were isolated and alone to attack And you probably know this to be true. You've probably experienced that. Or you know people who experienced just devastation as a result of isolation and separation from one another. And I was reading and trying to come up with some statistics to share with you. And statistics are weird because you can make them up. And then also they can change regularly. So if I just rattle off a bunch of statistics, they could be wrong tomorrow. But trends are important. So let me share with you some trends that we know are true based on what's happened the last couple of years. We know that rates of anxiety and depression have dramatically increased, especially among those who before didn't seem to have those issues. We know that domestic violence has increased and gone unreported in most cases. We know there's been a sharp decline in physical activity among children. We know that childhood abuse has gone up and has largely been underreported. We know that there has been an increased distrust of government leaders and institutions. We know that there's an increased pessimism among people toward the future. We know that drug use has increased and we know that pornography usage has increased. And I could go on and on and you probably have heard or seen these things in the news, all results of being disconnected and being vulnerable to attack when we're not connected to the larger community. And really to go a layer beneath that, we don't really need a lot of psychoanalytics or statistics for us to know that it's good for us to be with other people. You see, it's actually in our DNA. It's written into who we are. Even the most introverted person would probably tell you every now and then they like to be with people because it's good for them. It's not good to be isolated for long periods of time. It's written into our DNA. Contrary to popular belief, we aren't just here by accident. Accident. We didn't just wake up one day and exist. We were created by God. Look at the account in Genesis of creation. 
God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You see, we were created by a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who is in perfect community. And we were made in that image, and we had perfect community at the beginning. Adam and Eve had perfect community with each other, within themselves, their mind, their spirit, their soul, in perfect community with one another, and also perfect community with God. That's what was in the garden. That's what made it so perfect. And yet, if you know any of the rest of the story, and if you want to read more of that, you just open up into Genesis. Uh, You can read about the fall of man. But Adam and Eve made choices that ultimately destroyed that sense of community. They fractured that perfect community they had with God. Sin fractured that community. And yet, deep within us, some writers will call it the echo of Eden. We still sense within us that we know things should be better than they are. That things are wrong and we're not meant to live with this much pain and suffering and on and on. And what is in us is that distant echo of what we know should be perfect community with ourselves, with God, and with others. And so it's written into our DNA. I might even suggest sin's greatest devastation beyond death is the disruption of community. You see, because without community, we are vulnerable. Without community, we are vulnerable. And so if it's true, if it's true that we were created to be in community with one another and that we are vulnerable when we are not, then the rational question is, well, where do I find a community? How do I get involved in some sort of community? And and that's a good question. All right, Mark, if you're telling me that I'm vulnerable without community, where can I find one? And you know, there's no shortage of groups you can get involved in today, right? There are plenty of social justice movements that you can devote yourself to. There are political parties that you can align yourself with. There are identity groups all across the board that you can get involved in, right? Even people who aren't in the church understand the value of community. It's in our DNA, So we're all going to trend toward that. But I'm not sure those communities are really the safest places to be. All right, plenty of groups would love to have you join their cause, fund their mission, die for their idea. See, you're only as valuable to them as the amount that you're willing to give to them, the amount of yourself you're willing to give. The moment you deviate from an agenda of a group, you tend to be tossed to the wolves or maybe the lion. Right, love and acceptance from those groups typically only extend as far as the amount of yourself that you devote to them. And contrary to what you see in media, many of those communities are not healthy. And they're not healthy because it's self-absorbed. It's all about the people. It's all about them. And you see, once the community makes it about themselves, they're doomed for destruction. So there's no shortage of groups or communities you could involve yourself in, but that doesn't mean that they're all healthy for you. I think probably most of us would want to be a part of a community that is loving, right? That loves you for who you are, not for who you could become, for loving you because you are an image of God and you were created and you have extreme importance and in value that loves you for that. 
I think we would all want to be a part of a community that is truthful with one another, that seeks truth. There is a such thing as that, that shares truth with one another. I think all of us want to be a part of a community that is, is loving and is there in the good times, but also there in the struggles. That claps when you're victorious, but stands next to you when you failed. Right? Those are healthy communities, ones that love and seek truth and stand beside one another. I think a perfect community would be a place where a widow could find comfort, an addict could find healing, where a young couple could be nurtured, where purpose could be found in pain, where every race, tribe, and tongue could be unified, where a Democrat and a Republican could sit next to each other and not bicker, where children could have positive influences over them, where a young man's energy can be channeled and an old man's wisdom could be shared. That sounds like a beautiful, life-giving community. And so I don't think the question is, where can I find a community? I think the question is, where can I find that community? Where can I find the place where no matter what a person looks like can be found and can find meaning? I mean, that's really the question. Where can I find that community? As far as we know, that's the church. You see, there's only one community that we know of that Jesus blessed and said would endure and would be everlasting. And that is the church. Look at the way Matthew records this. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is a community. The church is a community that has been blessed by Jesus to endure. And that the gates of hell itself could not prevail against it. The church is a community. It's a gathering of people who have been saved by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and follow him daily. It's a community that gathers to worship Jesus, to celebrate him, to hear from his word, and to be equipped to go out into the world and to help others experience the same. It's a community that works hard to love one another, to seek truth, and to be with one another. You see, that is a beautiful life-giving community. And what makes it work is that we try to put others above ourselves. Scripture says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. What makes the church work is that it's about Jesus, not about us. The moment a church makes it about themselves, they're doomed. What makes the church work is when we keep our focus on Jesus above all things. That's the unifying factor. Now, I'm fully aware that I'm talking to many different groups of people today. Every single individual that came in the room this morning, everyone online has their own personal, unique experiences when it comes to faith and religion and or lack thereof based on your upbringings. And so I'm aware that what I'm saying might hit different people in, in different places. And so I'd like to try to address a few different groups of people that may be hearing these words. Some of you understand the value of the church community and you have invested yourselves into that. You've put in decades of time, of talent, of treasure, and you've, you've given to the community. You've tried to make it about Jesus as much as it depends on you. And I wanna encourage you to continue. I wanna encourage you, if that is you, if you have invested in the kingdom, if you've invested in the church, continue. Continue pouring out into some of us younger folks who can learn and grow. 
I encourage you to continue to do what scripture says, and that is to love one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to put others above ourselves. I encourage you to continue, continue running the good race, persevere. The second thing I would encourage you to do if you were in that group, Sometimes the more involved we get in this church community, our, our, our world kind of shrinks to the only people we really know are the people that we go to church with. And so I encourage you, if you find yourself in that situation, broaden, broaden your, your influence. Look for others who aren't like you, who maybe don't believe the same as you, and look and talk to them. Invite them into this community so they can experience the love of Jesus. I hope we don't get to a point where we've just... Con- created a life where we're in this little bubble and then we just stand at the, at the sides and watch people suffer. I hope we're inviting them in, bringing them into a place where they can find freedom from sin and life eternal. I encourage you to continue that if you're someone who has invested your life into the church community. Uh, some listening, uh, and you may be in a group, and there's a, there's a term that people have come up for this, this new group, and it's these people who are beginning to deconstruct their faith. And, and generally speaking, many of those people were people who grew up in church. And so they were kids who grew up in church regularly, and now as they're adults, they become kind of jaded by the church, and uh, they had some poor experiences. And so, well, I can keep my spirituality and my religiosity, but I don't need the church to do it. And so there's this deconnecting, this deconstructing of faith. And I would ask, how's that going for you? How is life without community really going for you? Are you being challenged? Are you growing as a person? I hope you don't use the excuse of, well, church just isn't for me or my parents were so strict. I don't want to do that to my kids as an excuse not to stay connected into a healthy community. And, you know, I can, I can sort of identify with that group a little bit. Uh, anybody in here grow up Catholic? Some of you are like, you made up a religion. Right? Some of you are like, I know that religion. I grew up Catholic. One of my parents was Catholic and one of my parents is Protestant. And so we went to both services regularly. I was sprinkled as a baby. I was confirmed when I was 11. I was baptized when I was 13. I performed the other sacraments. I rededicated my life numerous times at church camps growing up, right? Because that's what you do. And so I understand the ins and outs of churchianity. I understand the dogma that can be religion. But I'm not going to let that be an excuse for me not to stay connected into a healthy community where I can be challenged and I can grow and I can find a place to raise my kids and be loved. And so if you find yourself in that group, I encourage you to re-engage. Re-engage. Find a healthy community to be a part of and not just deconstruct it. There's lots of us in different groups this morning. I don't know how else to say this to those who who have disconnected themselves from the church other than to say you're in a vulnerable position. If you've disconnected yourself from a greater community, you are in a vulnerable position because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he's looking for those who become isolated, who have disconnected themselves, maybe physically or spiritually from others. And you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. I encourage you to evaluate that and to re-engage in your local community the local church community. 
Now, I was driving around the other day, and, and actually I was talking to somebody in the lobby about this, and he said he was sitting in a drive-thru and for like 30 minutes the other day. A drive-thru is supposed to be fast, right? And they, he comes up to a sign that says, now hiring. Have you seen those signs everywhere? Here's my question. Where are all the workers? Where did everybody go? Where are all the workers? You know what's true? You know what's also sad? Where's all the church people? Where'd everybody go? You know, most churches are running 50 to 70% of their pre-COVID numbers. Where did that other 30% go? They didn't just disappear. Where is everyone? Where have all the Christians gone? Where are they? Some of us have allowed this COVID era to disrupt a very healthy rhythm of community. And have just become slowly just disconnected and not even really able to articulate why. But you used to be involved and now all of a sudden you're not. I don't know where you are, but I encourage you to find a community and get back into it. Because you're vulnerable when you're alone. You're vulnerable to the attacks. Our enemy is like a roaring lion looking to devour So I encourage those who maybe have disconnected, if you know those people, encourage them to reconnect to the community. They're valuable, but they're also vulnerable. So some of us have allowed this COVID era to move us away from a healthy habit. I'm also aware that there may be people listening, maybe here in the room or online who have been hurt by the church who have been hurt by people in the church. We shouldn't be naive and try to ignore that. We know that there are people who have been physically and sexually and spiritually, emotionally harmed by people in the church community. And I wish that weren't true. I wish it weren't true that people are hurt by people in the church, but it is true. And I do believe that those people will be held accountable one day. I believe in God's sovereignty and his justice. And so if you, if you are one of those people, maybe you're listening online and you've, you just have checked out a church because there's pain involved in that. I, I wanna encourage you with this. Hear me on this. You weren't hurt by the church. You were hurt by people in the church. Who, if I had to guess, those people had become isolated from the greater community and opened themselves up to attack. And we're given over to those desires. I wish I could guarantee that no one would ever be hurt in the church. And it's just not true. Because as long as there are people and there is sin, there will be trouble. There will be conflict. People will do things they shouldn't. They'll say things they shouldn't. Leaders will make mistakes. But there's this old phrase, and I have no idea where it originated. Maybe one of you know and can help me out one day. Don't throw the baby out with the bath water. It's an old phrase, but you know, there is this, this extremist view, I think, that has emerged and has become more mainstream that says if one person or a small group within the larger group is corrupt, then the whole thing is corrupt. That's where we get these defund this and defund that movements and this cancel that, cancel that culture. Because we believe that if one person or one group within the larger context is corrupt, then the whole thing must corrupt and the whole thing must come down. I just don't think that's true. There are bad doctors, but I don't think we want to discount the entire medical community. There are bad politicians, but we shouldn't demolish the importance of governmental structures, right? There are bad parents, 
but I don't think we demolish families. There are bad teachers, but we don't take down the entire education system. So if you've been hurt before, I would encourage you not to cancel the whole community because of that. Find a place where you can find healing and restoration and be redeemed in the right relationship with yourself, with God and with others. You know, and some of you may be new today and this is new information for you, the value of this community. Maybe you're here on campus or you're online. So I shared this link or perhaps you're actually watching this a year from now. You're not even in the live context. I'm gonna ask you a question. What does a 90 year old Cuban lady, an old man dressed in a fine suit, a Congolese family and another young family. What does a divorced man and a widow, a former addict, an expecting mother and a couple, couple struggling with infertility? What does a blue collar worker, a white collar professional and a guy who grew up Catholic have in common? I encourage you to come and see. Come and see. Come and experience the community that is the local church and see if it doesn't improve your life. What unifies those people is the name of Jesus and nothing else. That's the power of the church that it can take all those different people in all those different life circumstances and can find a place where we can worship together and we can serve together and we can love one another. That's the power that is the church community. So I encourage you to come and see, come and experience this community. We're created to be in community and we're vulnerable without it because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, like the shark just beneath the water that we know is there. So don't let yourself become isolated disconnected from the greater community because that's when you're weakest you're open to attack I encourage you to stay and see and to come and see the goodness of God let's pray together church God thank you for establishing this community for establishing a community where people can find freedom freedom from strongholds, freedom from the things that hold them back, that can be freed from sin and set apart now and forever. There's nowhere else in this world we could turn that offers that. So God, I pray for those who value this community to continue, to continue to pour out and to love each other. God, I pray for those who have disconnected themselves, that they would evaluate their lives and reconnect, re-engage. God, I pray for those who have been hurt, that they find a local community where they can find healing and redemption, restoration with you. God, I pray that this is a community that seeks to unify and love in your name only, that puts you above us. I pray that we are a community that devotes ourselves to you entirely and nothing else. So God, as we...
continue to worship you together this morning. I hope everyone in this room just ponders and wonders what is the action that they need to take? What do I need to do? How do I need to change my thinking as a result of what I've heard today? So God be with us as we consider what you're calling us to do. It's in your name that we pray, God. Amen.